0: Welcome to Deutsche Bank's Horizon Scanning where we examine emerging threats and opportunities facing the economy. I'm Christiana Riley, CEO of Deutsche Bank in the Americas. Today we are beginning a three-part series exploring economic inequality in the United States. We begin with a conversation on the state of inequality as the economy recovers from COVID-19. We're relying on the perspectives of three experts who each bring a unique approach to gauging wealth, income, and opportunity disparities across this economy. First, John Lear, who joins us from Morning Consult, where he's Chief Economist and publishes the Morning Consult and Axios Inequality Index. From the Economic Innovation Group, we're joined by Research Director Keenan Fickrey. And finally, from Deutsche Bank, I'm pleased to be joined by Matt Lozetti, our US Chief Economist. So Matt, we'll start the discussion today with you. You and the research team at Deutsche Bank have developed a labor market index that summarizes movements across demographic discrepancies and inequalities in labor market data. Can you tell us why that's important and what your research is telling you now?
1: Sure, there were two main motivations for creating this index. Uh, The first was that it was very clear that the pandemic was having, having varying effects on economic outcomes of different demographic groups. And we wanted to have better insights into that and be able to track it better. The second was that last August, the Fed adopted what they called a broad based and inclusive interpretation of maximum employment with their policy framework review. Uh, And that meant that to understand monetary policy decisions going forward, we had to uh, no longer just look at aggregate data like the aggregate unemployment rate labor force participation rate or employment to population ratio. We really needed to have insights into Uh, what was developments for different demographic groups. Uh, In terms of what we learned from this index, I I think there's been two things. Uh, One, the pandemic was initially a very concentrated shock uh, that disproportionately impacted certain groups. And and among them, I think were women, lower education and lower wage jobs. And and just to give you a few statistics uh, for for that. um, The first is that total employment for women initially fell four percentage points more than it did for men last year as as the shock hit. Uh, The unemployment rate for women was also well above the the unemployment rate for men initially in response to the shock. The second data point is that employment for those uh, households with less than a high school education initially fell by more than one quarter, uh, about 27 percent from peak down to the trough. If you look at that versus people that are college educated, educated, the decline was closer to six percent. So The initial shock was very concentrated. It hit lower education, lower wage, uh, and and women much harder than it did other demographic groups. If we fast forward to today, um, our index suggests that the labor market has made pretty substantial progress. uh, And it's made pretty substantial progress uh, across a variety of metrics, a a broad-based progress that we've seen. But I I would note that it remains far short of where we were in 2019. Uh, 2019 was a labor market that saw 50-year lows with the unemployment rate and and was seeing broad-based gains at that point. And just to give you one data point that that I think helps to, to tell you that we're not back to that 2019 labor market. Uh, if you look at the unemployment rate for Black Americans, it's currently 3.4 percentage points above White Americans. And that's nearly double its pre-COVID low. So we have made a lot of progress, um, but certainly from an aggregate perspective, but also from a, a distributional perspective, there's a long ways to go to get back to that 2019 labor market.
0: Thanks, Matt. Those are, are very rich insights and data points. I want to bring John into the conversation. John, at Morning Consult, you've developed an inequality index that measures changes in inequality on a monthly basis. Tell me, what factors are you looking at most closely at the moment within that index, and where's it been heading over the course of the past couple of months?
2: Sure. So, the motivation behind developing this index is pretty similar to what Matthew outlined, which is that You know, in addition to tracking um, trends in, let's say, business cycles, we're also interested in understanding the sustainability of economic growth. And so what we did was, um, I guess the way I would frame it is sort of looking at economic progress from a different dimension, as opposed to just looking at, um, you know, peaks and troughs. We're also looking at the degree to which consumers across the country are experiencing the economic recovery similarly or differently each month. So every month, we're taking about 260,000 consumer interviews across the U.S. and aggregating uh, responses to questions regarding consumer confidence, employment outcomes, employment expectations, and then financial vulnerability to provide sort of a comprehensive view of the degree to which consumers are experiencing this recovery and this economic cycle similarly And what we saw pretty clearly was that over the course of July of 2020, there was growing economic inequality over that period. That's the so-called K-shaped economic recovery. And then we had this great fiscal shock that occurred first in December and then again in um, March of 2021 that drove a really dramatic decrease in inequality. And at this point, things have sort of settled down while COVID and and the Delta variant pose a really significant risk, I think, particularly for lower income adults. We've yet to see that the drop in confidence among lower income adults translate into a drop in in employment.
0: Great insights. And I think that, you know, consistent time timely tracking throughout uh, is certainly giving us a good read on on developments. I'm going to bring Keenan into the conversation at the Economic Innovation Group. Where I think you've been looking at not just some of the issues of consumer confidence and, and employment, as Matt and, and John have walked us through, but also issues around capital formation and within that uh, and around that, the very specific zip code level geographic inequalities uh, that, are, that emerge. Tell us a little bit about the research and what, what you're drawing, what insights you're drawing, Keenan, from that data.
3: Yeah, thanks so much, uh, and I'll, I'll start with kind of the, the local geographic inequality stuff. I think building on something, something Matthew said, right, that, that aggregate national statistics hide a lot under the surface across demographic groups and across places, too. Uh, and uh, just, just last week, we released a, a county-level kind of examination of, of uh, wealth and wealth inequality in the United States, uh, uh, t- looking at you know, the flow of asset income that different communities earn. Uh, this was before the pandemic 2019. But we saw that like the the inequality in in asset income or income from wealth uh, uh, was was I mean, grave to uh, sometimes the point of, of ludicrous if you think of, you know, the, the average resident of Manhattan has 13 uh, and a half times the asset income of the average resident of of the Bronx, uh, you know, right next door is, is a pretty incredible uh, uh, kind of inequality. And in many ways, the, the pandemic has uh exacerbated some of those pre-existing inequalities if you look at the performance of financial markets versus much of you know the rest of the of the real economy uh uh especially kind of underneath uh if you, if you were to remove the public policy pandemic supports that have supported a lot of households through this uh, so i think that that's uh that's a, a theme we'll, we'll probably be discussing a lot here but if i can uh, pivot i'll pivot to the new business formation angle uh as well because i think uh that's that's uh one of the most interesting Trends right now that we're seeing in the recovery, uh, and I think the most surprising economic indicator that I've observed over the course of the pandemic is that uh, it's actually delivered a huge entrepreneurial shock to the U.S. economy. You know, after initially really suppressing business applications for a couple months, uh, come July 2020, uh, new business applications had reached kind of unprecedented heights, and uh, that bump has been sustained now for well over a year. Uh, such that you know 2021 the first six months of the year uh, were the best six months for uh, new business applications uh, uh, in, in the United States on record uh, records only go back to 2005 but I think it's safe to say it could be the biggest one yet uh, and uh, that uh, you know to, to the extent that you know almost 1 million new business uh, 1 million, uh, new applications uh, uh, start a business that would likely go on and actually employ people, so not just you know, self-employment we're talking about here, uh, were filed in the first six months of the year, and that's 45% above 2019 levels, uh, again, for the first uh, six months of that year. Uh, so we're talking about something that's really substantial, uh, and it's kind of pervasive across sectors as well, and I think uh, so. Uh, definitely an indicator to watch.
0: So, I think there's a consensus emerging across all three of you um, that while, you know, in aggregate, the recovery has taken hold, no doubt we have uh, meaningful, very significant risks uh, still ahead from, from the Delta variant and what may follow as a consequence of that. Beneath the surface, there are very jagged uh, pockets uh, of exacerbated inequality out of this. If you are a policymaker, Matt, sitting uh, in in Washington, sitting at the Federal Reserve, looking in these days, sitting out and would have been sitting out in Jackson Hole, uh, how are you thinking about um, the the role of of that jagged inequality in the recovery in some of the decisions you need to be taking over the course of the next couple of months with respect to tapering uh, or other measures around economic stimulus?
1: Sure. And I think in many ways, this is a perfect timing to have this conversation from that perspective with Jackson Hole being focused on the unevenness of the recovery. I think in in financial markets, when when the Fed went through this policy framework review, we were so focused on what it meant for inflation and the Fed's flexible average inflation targeting uh, strategy. But I think what the the primary takeaway that the Fed had from that policy framework review was that long (laughs) sustained recoveries Uh, can broaden out the gains from the labor market perspective, uh, make us more equal, uh, and at the same time may not trigger uh, upside inflation risks. And I think when the Fed was going around to each of their Fed Listens events, that was the key takeaway that they had, uh, essentially. Uh, Now, I I think from the Fed's perspective, they are facing two-sided risks. Uh, Inflation, as we all know, uh, has has risen a lot more rapidly than, than anticipated. Uh, And inflation, if sustained, is a negative shock, which actually is regressive uh, for for poorer individuals. It hurts them more. Um, And the Fed has very blunt tools. They can either change the Fed funds rate or uh, change QE, their QE purchases. So the Fed, I think, is focused very much on building a resilient recovery, one that can be sustained to get back to these these broad-based gains. Uh, We anticipate, I think, that the Fed will uh, move towards unwinding their, their QE purchases. I think that's an appropriate uh, stance to be taking at this point, I think the Fed believes that uh, the recovery has enough momentum uh, and endogenous momentum that that will help to sustain it. Uh, and they, they also know that if inflation does run away from them, that they will have to raise rates too, too sharply and that has very negative outcomes for, for the labor market. So I, I think that the Fed will, will take the appropriate steps in unwinding QE. I think they're going to be very patient with raising interest rates. And a part of it is because they are very focused on that broad-based and inclusive maximum
2: employment objective.
0: Please, John, come on in. Yeah, so I, I think there's a way
2: maybe to, to integrate the research that Matthew's doing and what we're seeing in our data and then what Keenan has highlighted, which is that we know that there's a high level of, you know that employment outcomes over the course of the pandemic have been extremely different. And then we also see in our data, not only that it's the outcomes, but future expectations that people, particularly low-income people, have more volatile um, employment expectations. They expect to lose, as soon as there's a something in the news that something bad's going to happen, they expect that they're going to lose their jobs. And so that makes it very difficult for them to do any sort of real financial planning or invest in some sort of less liquid longer-term assets. And that, in turn, we're seeing sort of flow through to Keenan's point around wealth disparities. And so all these issues are really closely related, and we're sort of looking at the same phenomenon but just from different perspectives
0: yeah and that leads me to my next question which i'm going to actually pass up all three of you and maybe start with you john and then keenan and, and matt on it you know the way you've described um the the view of the world uh, around you know lower income sectors of the population viewing employment as a, a, a much you know more temporary, more volatile situation? It's a pretty structural situation. So you know, we really should perhaps think about this impact of the economy on the pandemic. It's, it's not a hiccup, right? This is something that existed prior to the pandemic, it's been exacerbated by these conditions, um, and it will most likely persist beyond. What type of political incentives can we create or could we consider uh, that would potentially disrupt or, or, or allow us to reflect how the consequences of this pandemic and what we've learned from the pandemic can help to alleviate that dynamic? I'll start with you, John, and maybe yeah. Keenan and Matt come in uh, after.
2: I think one of the big uh, lessons we've learned from the course over the course of the pandemic is um, how important it is to get money to people quickly when things go wrong. And um, we learned that lesson, unfortunately, a few different times. So the first time we had, uh, you know, these initial CARES Act payments, and that really was a learning process for the government to figure out how to distribute funds to folks. Then we had unemployment insurance benefits, and we had, you know, that's a state-run system where there were, uh, you know, massive delays in getting those payments out to people. And so as a result, you know, we had this period, let's say, in... um, October, November, and December, where those unemployment insurance payments had wound down, people were not getting the funds. And it took a while for Congress to act again. But once they did, they had learned the lessons from the CARES Act. In particular, they learned how to directly distribute funds to people. And so I think that says a lot about um, investing in in uh, counter-cyclical fiscal policy that allows funds to, to provide people with the bridge that they need to feel stable in their personal finances.
0: Keenan, do you wanna add any perspectives on that based on what you see?
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, uh, to, to some extent, uh, I am uh, a little, I think optimistic that what comes next may be better than the 2010s. I mean, the 2010s was a rough decade and one of slow uh, recovery and quite jobless uh, for uh, at least half of it. Um, but you know, we've already seen uh, the kind of service sector wage pressures. Uh, you know, get uh, really start to dramatically increase uh, the the wages of kind of the bottom 50% of the workforce. Uh, don't know where that's going to stabilize yet, but that's uh, that that that's good. And uh, you know, to 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 John's point, I think we have learned uh, through this experiment uh, the value of this these uh, really intensely robust countercyclical uh, policies and stimulus to uh, make sure that the recessions themselves don't do that much damage. Uh, to to households that take them so long to recover, um, but uh, I am a little wary of of I think some of the some of the blind spots and the people that are going to fall through the data uh, in the next couple um, uh, yeah over the next couple of years you know here think of uh, maybe uh, 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 the immigrant labor force that uh, maybe uh, undocumented and was predominantly employed in urban service sectors. Uh, The near retirees who in the short term might look financially stable, but over the long term, they might not be. And then, you know, we just have uh, pockets of deep, deep damage uh, to uh, the economy uh, from the pandemic. Uh, You know, I think of walking around D.C., all of the immigrant owned dry cleaners that have disappeared. And if you look in the current population survey, as uh, Robert Fairley out of the University of um, California, San Diego, I think does, uh, you know, employee, self-employment rates uh, across most demographic groups have actually recovered over the course of the pandemic, but they're down really low for immigrants and for Asians, and I think, you know, that's just, like, good luck finding that in the national statistics, or in the aggregate data, but I think it's a real pocket of pain that's going to be difficult to adjust, and uh, I'm not sure how we, how we pick up some of those pieces.
0: Yeah. So Matt Keenan talked about his optimism around, uh, you know, learning around, you know, fast stimulus, getting, getting money where it needed to go. The flip side of that question, and you and I have had this debate a number of times, is around the sustainability of sovereign debt levels uh, and, and government indebtedness. Um, give us some of your latest uh, perspectives on that, particularly on the back of the, the latest stimulus package.
1: Sure. So I think no doubt uh, we've seen a, a very substantial rise in, in debt loads and, and deficits. My, my own view is that that was a necessary response to an unprecedented shock. And it was able to avert a much deeper, prolonged crisis uh, and did help to limit, I think, some of the, the adverse impact on inequality. We've certainly seen a widening out in inequality. But being able to you know, raise uh, household incomes in an unprecedented way during a recession was a necessary response to, to this shock and in, in this crisis. I, I agree, I think that one thing we've learned is um, the automatic nature of that. Uh, you know, we should be able to get those funds out much more quickly. Uh, the delays, whether it's week or, weeks or months may not seem like much to policymakers, but for a household, they can be quite critical. Uh, we can look abroad perhaps to you know, some of the work sharing programs that we have uh, in Europe as a way to, to uh, fine these, tune these policies to make them more efficient. And then I think simply from a uh, a debt perspective, um, there is a lot of analysis uh, certainly out there um, uh, in Washington to take focus away from debt loads and to focus a little bit more on uh, uh, net interest margins and borrowing costs. Uh, And we are currently in an environment where even though interest rates are rising, they're still at historically low levels. Uh, And so from a investment in society perspective, I I think that the response that we've had makes sense Uh, we may need to see some consolidation down the road, but now is certainly not the time to do so.
0: Very good. I'm going to close with one lightning round uh, to all three of you. Five years from today, income inequality in the United States is greater, lesser, or the same? I will start with you, Matt.
1: I think it's going to be lesser. I I, I think if if you believe in uh, some of these structural policies either that we have from the Fed or from uh, the Biden administration uh, that we now see with the, the human infrastructure package. I think that they will be able to a, achieve a, a policy that raises the labor share of income uh, and
2: reduces inequality over time.
0: John, next from you.
2: I unfortunately am not as optimistic. I, I think actually income inequality is likely to increase over the next five years. And the reason I say that is all the great work around information asymmetries. And I think this pandemic has highlighted that, that that folks who know people who worked from home or know people who have weathered this storm fairly well can build a life, can go to college, can, can can structure their finances and their career in that way. But for all those people who don't see that, who don't have role models, who have who figured out how to weather this storm, it actually makes it more difficult for them going forward um, to understand the likely payoff of, of something like investing in, in college.
0: It's a very fair perspective. Keenan.
2: I I, I fall smack between the two. I
3: think that uh, the the kind of public policy regime has definitely shifted in favor of of more equity. Uh, And I think that this administration uh, is going to accomplish a lot. And I think that they will have kind of changed the political standard and baseline going forward too. Uh, But then I I don't see as many ideas or as much political will yet around kind of increasing uh, uh, or advancing wealth. Equality and wealth equity and you know how do we democratize some of these highly lucrative kind of ownership stakes in the US economic system Uh, that's going to be the unfinished business, I think,
0: and Matt wants to weigh in.
1: Sure, and and I I think one one uh, key aspect of the inequality of this pandemic shock that we haven't talked about uh, very much and that will will become evident down the road uh, is what it's meant for education Uh, we've had a very unequal education experience across different demographic groups during this pandemic. Uh, and I guess, while, very, while I am very, was positive on, on the inequality implications of the fiscal and, and monetary policy regime, I am a bit concerned about what this uh, inequity in, in educational experiences will mean down the road
0: 10, 15 years. I think that's a very fair concern. I wanna thank all three of you for a really insightful conversation, very balanced. We had some different perspectives and shared perspectives, but it's been a great conversation. Thank you all for sharing your views. Thank
4: Thank you, it was great
1: being here. Thanks so much.
4: Horizon Scanning has been produced by Deutsche Bank and is intended for general information purposes only. By accessing Horizon Scanning, you confirm that you are entitled to do so in accordance with your own regulatory requirements. Any opinions, estimates or projections discussed in this podcast constitute the current judgment of the speaker at the time of recording and do not represent a formal or official view of Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank does not make any representations or warranties in respect of the currency, accuracy or completeness of any information included in this podcast the reasonableness of any opinions expressed information included may not be complete or up to date for your purposes and is subject to change for further disclosures and other important information please visit research.db.com